Welcome to This Week in California Education, brought to you by EdSource Radio. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. Well, John, the wave of teacher strikes across the nation has moved to Arizona and districts in Colorado, continuing a surge of teacher activism. We'll be talking about what's happening in those states and its implications for California, if any. And we'll discuss the importance of a diverse teaching force. But first, we'll be interviewing reporter Carolyn Jones about what rural school districts are doing to bring science education to their students. Welcome, Carolyn. Why, thank you. You know, one attraction of the state's next generation science standards, which California adopted a few years ago, is the emphasis on hands-on science. But schools in rural areas are at a disadvantage. Kids can't take a you know trip to the Exploratorium or the Museum of Natural History in, in L.A., and they don't have the resources of urban and large districts. Well, you have looked into at least one county, what one county is doing to bring resources actually to rural districts. Tell us about what you found. Well, yeah, in San Joaquin County, the County Office of Education spent a million dollars on a state-of-the-art fabrication laboratory to serve some of these really rural school districts out there for, so it's easier for kids to get to that, you know, kind of cutting edge technology where they have laser cutters and 3D printers and robotics labs and all that stuff. And it's great for teacher training as well. Sounds like fun. Is it for students of all ages? Yes, it's K through 12, and it's kids from all over the county. And it's not just San Joaquin County. A lot of other rural counties have made these investments as well. Uh, Tuolumne County, Sonoma County, um, and they've done a lot of other innovations too, like have a mobile science lab that can go to these schools, some of which are, you know, an hour even from the County Office of Education. What kinds of things do they do in those labs? Well, they learn how to make robots, and they learn how to make things with a 3D printer. Uh, for example, one teacher was saying that to teach physics, you know, she has the kids usually build a tower out of toothpicks and marshmallows. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But at the Fab Lab, they can do the same thing using the laser cutter to make pieces and braces and learn how to make bridges and learn engineering and so forth. So she says it's been a huge boon for the students and really exciting, too. Well, why does it work? What's important about this? Well, it's important as far as implementing the new science standards to get those hands-on um, you know, science opportunities and also for these kids to be able to compete once they get to college against their urban counterparts you know, or some of the wealthier districts that do have all this apparatus. So why are the county offices of education involved here? Well, on the one hand, it's because they want to give their kids the best education possible, but also there's a real economic incentive. Um, In Tuolumne County, they were saying, you know, they hope to just have a more educated uh, populace there to be able to attract tech companies. They said, you know, we're never going to get Google or Amazon to locate here, but there's no reason why we can't get smaller tech companies. And if we have kids graduating from high school here with these skills, that should really be a boon economically for the whole county. So you mentioned teachers. Does it require a lot of training, and are they excited by this? Oh, yeah. It's great for the teachers to be able to have a local resource to get training, you know, not only in the new standards, but in some engineering stuff and new technology. Otherwise, sometimes it's really hard to get to these training seminars that might be hours away and cost hundreds of dollars to get to. So, yeah, teachers love it. So this is all part of the next generation science standards. Where are we with regard to those standards? Well, most districts are at some stage of implementing those standards now. Some are really far along, like down in Southern California. Uh, Torrance Unified is really on top of it. 
Some districts are lagging a little bit because they haven't been able to train all their teachers yet, but most schools are getting there, slowly but surely. It's great to see the county stepping up in science, and it's great to see districts getting into the next generation science standards, which I know you'll be looking into in months to come. Yes, I will. Thanks, John. Thank you. Well, the news of the week are teacher strikes in Arizona and Colorado, and they follow strikes in West Virginia and Oklahoma. Lewis, what's going on? Well, pretty amazing to see these uprisings from teachers in these very conservative states, for the most part, and uh, often uh, unorganized, uh, people who can't belong to unions or don't have collective bargaining rights. Uh, you'd kind of would have expected this kind of activism in California, uh, where we have extremely progressive teachers union, a very powerful one, but uh, we haven't seen a statewide strike, and I can't imagine there being one in California. No, I can't really. These are states. These are largely red states where teachers have really been fed up. They've had enough. They're, they've seen their pay, given by cost of living, decline. They've seen in many of these states, Oklahoma and Arizona, they've actually seen per-student spending fall. And this is just an expression of teachers. You know, we've had it, and it was people put up their pay stubs from 10 years ago and they, on the Internet, and they compare it with now, and they're the same. And, and they're saying, this is hurting our kids. This is hurting us. We have to act. And so you're right. An uprising would be correct because it's not the unions. It's often Facebook organized by teachers. John, I just got to push back a little bit. Um, I'm not sure teachers in California have it made. I mean, California still lags behind the rest of the nation in in the amount of money spent on kids, uh, particularly once you account for the cost of living in California. Conditions vary tremendously in districts across the state. Rural districts uh, struggling really to pay competitive salaries. I don't think you'll see a statewide strike in California. First of all, I can't imagine it. There are powerful, the CTA is a powerful union well-connected with the legislature. We got a tax increase with their support that Governor Brown put through. And as you said, districts negotiate contracts with local unions. And so for there to be a statewide strike, they'd be happening by districts with contracts, which would be patently illegal. But your sentiment is true. But at the same time, California teachers as a whole, and we know it varies from place to place based on the Bay Area, your dollar doesn't go as far as, say, Fresno. But on average, California teachers are third in the country in terms of average teacher salaries until you factor in cost of living as a state and then falls back down to like 19th. Well, I think it also exposes some deeper issues here, and that is just the the kind of status that afforded teachers in our society. And that it is very interesting to see that these teachers in these conservative states where the budgets have been slashed, kind of been taken for granted. I think they are expressing a frustration that I think is experienced across the board among teachers that they are taken for granted and they aren't compensated adequately for the unbelievably important job that they are doing. So again, I think it's interesting it's coming from these teachers who really have been outside the limelight and haven't had very, very strong unions representing them because of, of course, the laws in these states that, that really make it very, very difficult, or if not impossible, to organize. That's very true. I think your point's well taken about teachers as a profession, not particularly respected or paid enough relative to other professional workers. And so it's going to be very interesting to see how this spreads or whether this will spread to a real national movement. I mean, uh, what's happened is significant. We're seeing this in 
about a half dozen states where there's some real grassroots movement, but that's half dozen uh, states out of 50. And uh, is this going to be something that will spread to all 50 states? I think it's being noticed by teachers here because, as you know, there's an important, critical Supreme Court decision coming down in June. It's called Janus, a worker out of Illinois. And if the court is expected, uh, rules as expected, teachers in California and other public workers will no longer have to pay fees to their union to represent them. There are about 22 states that do this. California is one. It will turn California basically into a right-to-work state where representation isn't mandatory. So I think teachers are looking at this and say, well, we don't want to get to the point and other public workers as well. We don't want to get to the point of West Virginia, Oklahoma. Not that it would happen in blue state California right away, but we want a strong union, so it reminds us of the importance of that. This does raise an issue that the CTA, California's Teachers Association, is often criticized or portrayed as this very, very powerful union that stands in the way of reform and so on and so forth. And you could argue that having a strong union has created relative peace in the labor market, at least as far as it affects teachers. We don't have a lot of strikes, teacher strikes in California. And when they happen, they pretty organized and built around collective bargaining. And so you do wonder what would happen in California if the California Teachers Association is really weakened by an adverse ruling in Janice versus Ask Me, which I think a lot of people are fearing and many expect. You know, there are two different issues. One is whether or not the CTA is powerful and perhaps standing in the way of reforms, such as tenure and layoff reforms and teacher evaluations. Those are legitimate issues for which there are disagreements, even among some teachers. On the other aspect, yes, it's brought labor peace. And I think districts would prefer to deal with a union that is well represented than have, have the sort of chaos that was existed before that happened back in the 70s. Well, this is going to be very interesting to watch. Uh, we do have a lot of activism right on California's border here in Arizona. In fact, I talked to a staffer in the Arizona Education Association, grew up in California, actually taught in California schools, and she is just amazed to see this level of activism in Arizona. And so this could be the start of teachers really claiming not only benefits, but claiming to be recognized for the important work that they do. Of course, any school-related activity, whether it's in science or any other part of the curriculum, ultimately comes down to teachers. An ongoing challenge in California and virtually every other state is to build a teaching force whose racial and ethnic backgrounds are similar to the students they teach. Lewis, you've been looking into this issue. What did you find? Well, actually, the Learning Policy Institute did put out a report on teacher diversity and they found a big mismatch between the diversity of the teaching force and the diversity of the student body. And looking at this issue in California, we've actually made some progress. One in three teachers in California are teachers of color. And so a lot of progress. In fact, the number of Latino teachers is really doubled from about 31,000 teachers to 62,000 teachers over the last 20 years. So there's progress. But the issue here is that the student body has also become a lot more diverse. It's about three quarters of the student body now in California are students of color and 33% of the teaching force are teachers of color. So the gap actually 
hasn't closed, and in some cases, the gap has actually widened. What's the importance here? Why is it important to have a diverse... Well, there's, there's quite a bit of research that shows that it does make a difference. This is not to say that a white teacher, I hate to use that term, I have to say I'm from South Africa, that connotates a kind of apartheid state. We, those categories are social constructs anyway, in many cases. But at any rate, uh, nobody's suggesting that uh, a white teacher can't be effective with students of any racial or ethnic background. And we know, you know teachers, I know teachers who have just done spectacular work uh, teaching uh, across racial and ethnic lines. But uh, there is research that shows that those students who can see the role models, they may be more engaged, and that academic outcomes are more favorable. Yeah, I think that uh, there are studies that show, in fact, one teacher who is, who is similar to you is, makes a big difference. So what can be done to actually even make more progress in this area, Lewis? This is a, a multidimensional challenge. It's something that has to be tackled all the way across the, the pipeline from trying to get students of color, really starting in high school, interested in teaching, then making it possible for them to enter not only college, but into teacher preparation programs. There's, there's research that shows, for instance, African-American students have far higher levels of debt than white students, even for many years after they've graduated. And so that's going to make them more reluctant to go into a profession that doesn't, just as we've been talking about, doesn't pay that much. That's really difficult. You accumulate all the student debt, then you go into a profession, and then as we saw you know, back in the uh, 10 years ago, up to 2010, then you get laid off and you still have the debts to pay. It's tough. And, yeah, and then research has showed that the dropout rate, shall we say, of teachers in these early years is higher amongst African-American males in particular, have the highest attrition rates. And that's often because they are put into the most difficult teaching uh, situations because it's, oh, well, you can deal with kids who have a long way to go to catch up with their peers. And it's going to be very challenging. Often those schools where they do teach are under-resourced and so on. So it does mean creating environments where these teachers are supported. And uh, there's other things going on. I have to say many states have interesting and innovative programs. California has one, they just started, where the state will actually cover some of the costs for, for teachers' aides and so on to become credentialed teachers. And just in the last couple of years, about 2,000 of these teachers, of these paraprofessionals have become teachers, and about half of them are teachers of color. And many of those actually are parents who live in the district, and they're not likely to transfer, which is important too. And then I know Linda Darling Hammond, the president of Learning Policy Institute, is one who really is behind teacher residencies. Yeah, same thing. Uh, in fact, peers that are higher numbers of teachers, students, or teachers in training who are from diverse ethnic and racial backgrounds who participate in those programs. In San Francisco's residency program, 75% of the participants are teachers of color. So this is these are programs you could target who you want to attract and also to support them in ways that they will stay in the profession. Well, facing shortages in many districts and certain specialties, we should be doing a lot of this anyway, shouldn't we? Yeah, and unfortunately, a bunch of programs that would really have helped, uh, loan, loan programs for, for teachers, grant programs that would have really been able to help students who might not otherwise have entered the teaching professions were phased out 
during the California's various budget crises over the last several decades. So we really have to look at bringing those programs back as well. So the good news is we're making progress, but the challenge is progress is not happening at a rapid enough rate to keep up with the increasing diversification of the student population itself. Well, it's useful to see a report to remind us of what we have to do. Well, that just about wraps it up for this week in California Education, brought to you by EdSource Radio. Thanks, John, for joining us again. Always fun. And thanks to our sponsor, the S.D. Bechtel Jr. Foundation. And thanks to you, our listener. Please send us any comments or insights that you have after you've listened to this podcast. Thanks for listening and see you next week.